So what they're frightened of today are exactly the same things they were frightened of yesterday. Yeah. Because this, shall we call it, this fright complex is rooted in every individual. One's challenged by the audience. They're saying to me, show us. And I know what's coming next. And I say, do you? In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. Want to wish y'all a happy new year. Uh, before we jump into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our social medias, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Don't Go Out There on those platforms and you'll find Brian's awesome artwork he did for us. And check out our website, don'tgooutthere.com. You can find all of our episodes, interviews, our blog store, our celebrity shout outs, all of that. Anything related to us, you can find on uh, our website. And with this new year, we're starting a new theme month, which is going to be exciting. And we're taking on Creature Feature Month. And Brother Dustin is up first with his pick, and he chose 1963's Alfred Hitchcock's iconic classic, The Birds. Uh, Dustin, do you want to go first with your general overview and why you picked yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, this movie is my mom's least favorite movie of all time. My mother is terrified of birds in, in real <laughs> life. And so uh, this movie... I remember the first time I watched it was with her and God, it's probably been 20 years ago or more. And she, I asked her about it yesterday. This is, that's the last time she's watched it. She said she'll never watch it again. She's seen it twice in her life and she'll never do it again. She said. Um, and so I just remember watching it with her and the, the first time I ever saw it and seeing how terrified she was. And, you know, in my mind, this is, I shoot, I don't know, 2001, 2002, three, somewhere in there. And uh, she, you know, horror movies had come a long way since then. So it wasn't particularly scary to me, but it was very real to her. And so I, this movie just always has held a special place in my heart, I guess, because of that, because of the, I know it terrifies my mom. Um, but also on top of that, this movie is universally renowned as a classic not just a classic horror movie but a classic movie in general i mean it's alfred hitchcock for god's sake uh the man made at least one movie a year sometimes twice a year for almost 40 years straight except for this one this is uh the longest he went in between making mil- uh, films psycho released three years prior uh but regardless this movie is highly regarded by me highly regarded by film critics uh across the world and i I hadn't watched it in a little while, so I thought we'll probably never get back around to reviewing this movie if I don't just go ahead and jump on it. So let's do it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, my general overview, honestly, is I don't think the movie aged well. No offense, Dustin. I think I think a lot of people my age or younger would probably agree with that. I do think this movie would be a great love movie or love story. Listen, listen to him saying my people my age you make it sound like i'm that much older than you but anyway get your shit off 
Well, I mean, you saw it earlier, so I mean, you 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 knew the movie before me. No, I hadn't seen this movie until a few days ago, and I'm 29, almost 30. But you know, I've seen all the big blockbusters nowadays with the amazing special effects, and it, it just doesn't hold up well. But <clears throat> I respect the movie and uh, respect where the path it paved. And uh, you know, it's Alfred Hitchcock. He's one of the most iconic directors of all time. So. I'm not going to absolutely just hate on it, but I wasn't a giant fan. Brian, what is, what's your general overview? Um, you know, I, it's been so long since I'd seen this movie. I may as well have you know, been watching it for the first time. Um, you know, with that said, I'm not even real sure I'd watched it all the way through. So, I, I mean, I'm definitely a Hitchcock fan, but I'll have to say that when I think of Hitchcock, like black and white is what I think of. And I was disappointed with the revelation of this being a color. Um, I think it could have benefited from being in black and white personally, but that's just a you know personal preference. Uh, Hitchcock's got a very famous quote uh, where he tells the difference in suspense and surprise. Um, one where he describes a situation where like we're having an innocent chat about the you know the weather outside or something, and I'm paraphrasing, but you know suppose there's a bomb underneath and nothing happens, and all of a sudden boom, you give the audience surprise. But if you tell the audience there's a bomb and the public knows you know, that it's supposed to go off at a certain amount of minutes. Now you build suspense and tension. And to the point where, like, they're shouting at us, you know, chatting about the quote-unquote weather or whatever. But, you know, having them participate in the scene, yelling at us to stop talking about, you know, these trivial things. And I think that that's what he was trying to do with this movie. Um, And I think he does a good job of it as, you know, we're anticipating birds attacking, you know, pretty much at every moment. Um, but I just think that there's too many of those trivial chats about the quote unquote weather to me in here. Um, I think that this movie goes on way too long and I do have some issues with the lack of soundtrack because, you know, it's famously how there is none. And, you know, I think it works in some places, but not in all. And I think that it kind of hinders the movie in in some other places. Um, all in all, you know, I don't know if I've even made up my mind 100% on this one yet. <laughs> Maybe by the end of the podcast I will when it comes to rating time. Uh, but I think I'm going to shoot from the cuff with that one because conflicted would be a good word to describe how I feel about this movie at the moment. So real quick before we jump into scene to scene, I want to say one thing to a point that both of you all touched on. So Brian, you said you think this movie could have benefited from being in black and white. And Nico, you said the effects didn't age well. I, I, think, I do want to say that, yes, I can totally see that in 2021 we're watching a film that was made in 1963 with no computer effects so yeah i completely get that i guess where i differ is that i'm truly in awe of how well they pulled it off given the technology they had at their disposal and so uh i think at the time this is fantastic or could it be remade today with the exact same storyline the exact same uh, everything but just improved effects and would it look better? Duh, absolutely. So, yeah, I completely get what you're saying. So you don't have to feel like you're shitting on my pick by saying the effects are dated because that, that should be obvious when we say this movie is made in 1963. I completely, uh, I completely respect that outlook. But you're absolutely right, though, Dustin, considering the times it was very good because you can watch a lot of you know low-budget horror movies now and the effects then are better than the stuff currently yeah. if you don't have a budget. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and I got any more open quick, quick. Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, just a quick question for you uh, specifically, Nico. Which movie has better effects in your eyes? The Birds 1963 or the original Children of the Corn? (laughs) (laughs) Whew, the Birds probably. (laughs) Children of the Corn got some bad effects. Well, that's what I was going to say. Some of the some of the movies in the '90s, especially when they were trying to do everything CG, yeah. it looks worse. I mean, it worse looks worse than practical effects from the 1950s and 60s because it's so cheesy and, yeah. and crappy now. It aged way worse than this. Yeah, the the birds uh, special effects greater than uh, CG Michael Myers mask. Take it away, Nico. Well, no doubt about that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the scene by scene. The film starts with a title card and opening credits and birds flying and chirping loudly on the screen. Now we're in San Francisco and Melanie walks into a pet shop and sees and hears thousands of birds in the sky. She goes to talk to the cashier about her order, but it hasn't arrived yet, so she waits for her to call and check on it. Mitch walks in and asks Melanie if she can help. She's attracted to him and tries to help, even though she doesn't work there. He wants to buy lovebirds for his sister's birthday party. He asks her birds questions she obviously doesn't know. She lets a canary free by accident, and Mitch catches it with his hat. Mitch knows who Melanie is already. He met her in court. He pulled a prank on her this time. She's glad <clears throat> excuse me. She's glad he didn't get his love birds. Melanie runs out and gets his license plate number before he leaves. Melanie calls her, her I wrote Melanie calls her plug and gets someone to call the DMV to find out who the owner of the license plate is. She asks the cashier if she has lovebirds, but she doesn't, but she'll have some ordered for tomorrow. Melanie has two lovebirds and goes to deliver them at Mitch's door, but his neighbor says he won't be back until Monday. He's in Bodega Bay, 60 miles away. Melanie puts the birds in her car and heads there herself. I wrote there's a beautiful countryside shot as she drives the highway. She gets to the post office slash like, convenience store, and she asks where does Mitch live. He takes her outside and points towards his house. She wants to surprise him, so he says she can get a boat, so he orders her one. She asks what the little girl's name is. He isn't sure, so he gives Melanie instructions to go ask the school teacher her name. No charge for the calls, and she leaves. Melanie gets to Annie's house, and she asks for her name. It's Kathy, and she offers Melanie a smoke. She asks if she's one of Mitch's friends. Annie asks where she met Mitch and says everyone meets him in San Francisco. Good luck, Miss Daniels, she says as she leaves. All right, Brian, that's the two opening scenes. What do you think, man? Um, Okay, so first of all, just get this out of the way, because I know we handle this particular stuff differently in different cases, but I didn't know this, and so it's been so long. I think that it should be mentioned, at least, that uh, Tippi Hedren actually came out and said that Hitchcock sexually assaulted her in a memoir she wrote. Now, I mean, I believe he was already dead when that came out. So I'm just simply putting that out there because I was surprised to come across that. I'd never heard anything like that be you know, said about Hitchcock. Um, so I don't know. The listeners may want to that bit of knowledge as well. Maybe they were in the same boat as me. I don't know. But um, I think Tippy's a great lead. Um, people may or may not know she's actually Melly Griffith's uh, mother. Um, I think she's a lot more interesting than Rod Taylor's Mitch. But by God, let me just say that dude has some great fucking hair. Look, <laughs> it does. It deserves its own agent. That's one beautiful mane on that dude. I will say, that. Um, you know, and I think they have pretty decent chemistry. Uh, I, I do think that he looks way too old for her. But the whole age thing with that, with this whole thing, was weird to me. And I think it was just the way that 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 people looked at certain ages way back then. Um, I mean, to me, like his mom Lydia was 
looked like she was like 60. But I mean, I know she wasn't, but that's just the, her, her. She appeared that way. But did, she had a daughter and Kathy that was so young, like 12 or 13, I think she was turning. So it was almost like Mitch looked like he was in his 50s, but was playing some guy maybe in his 20s. So I don't know. The whole the whole age thing played really bizarre to me, especially, you know, here when it was introducing everybody. Um, but I got used to it. And something else I came across that I thought was interesting was like, firstly, you know, there's no explanation as to, you know, why the birds ever come, which I like that, you know, like she says, you know, it's happening. Isn't that reason enough? But there's a theory out there that, you know, the birds are attacking more or less because of Melanie and her relationship with Mitch and how like it's considered inappropriate in Lydia's eyes, which I never really got. But but reading that, you know, makes me kind of watch it differently. So it's like it's you know, that's the very factor, you know, that causes the alarming upending of Mother Nature in this theory. So. I mean, they're even, they even like confront that later in the movie, which I'll get to. And that's like a hilarious scene, which I don't think was supposed to be hilarious, but it was hilarious to me. But, uh, you know, if you watch it with those goggles, it's interesting because like it does coincide with those bird attacks. Um, and the other theory is the full moon because that's brought up as well. But but I like the no explanation route completely. Um, you know, and with some of that dialogue, it does feel like that it's, you know, Hitchcock kind of talking to us in the audience, telling us, you know, don't worry about why just sit back and be entertained. And that was a, a big, a big thing of Hitchcock's. So, um, you know, shit, just make sure you have an intermission in between because you're going to have to pee in this two hour long movie. But, uh, overall, I think that it kind of got to a slow start, um, even for character development. Um, I think the lack of soundtrack, as I'll say a few times, like works in some places, but here to me at the beginning, it doesn't. Um, I, I enjoyed the little bit of trivia, you know, that the opening uses the, that same beautiful countryside shot, as Nico so eloquently put it. Um, it's actually the exact same shot you see later almost for the opening of I Know What You Did Last Summer, um, which I'm sure was 100% done on purpose as a nod to this movie. But, you know, it's worth noting, and I'm sure I'll bring it up whenever we review that movie. Um, you know, in that line, you're a louse. Look, that's an underrated put down. I'm going to start using that <laughs> shit. So go ahead, Dustin, you fucking louse. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, first of all, I just want to say that uh, if I ever stumble across Doc Brown and Marty McFly, I'm going back to 1963 to tell Tippi Hedren to call me sometime. Um, second of all, uh, I want to touch on what you said about the ages in this movie. It baffled me when I found out that Rod Taylor in this movie was my age in real life. That man That's looks crazy. like he's about 47 years old. I'm 32, and... Exactly. We're the same age. Jesus Christ, man! That's that right there should be the that right there should be the poster for "Don't Smoke," but um, <laughs> cigarettes. It is. Uh, second of all, uh, got a little cameo from Alfred Hitchcock there when uh, she's entering the pet store. Alfred Hitchcock's walking out, walking his two dogs, and those were his two dogs in real life. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the way that Melanie delivers her lines and, and acts in this pet shop scene i thought was really well done although this scene kind of i guess it's got to be very uh it's got to be a sign of the times like this this girl's late supposed to be late you know mid to late 20s or whatever and fine as hell she's a socialite yet she's a prankster who shatters windows and goes to court all the time like either she's early 2000s Paris Hilton, or I, I just don't get her dynamic in this film. Why someone is supposed to be as upstanding in society as her 
uh, would be doing all this mischievous stuff. Uh, and then just like think it's, I don't know, that just seems like very lame pranks. That's what I'm saying. It must be signs of the times. But I thought it was hilarious that uh, he's just like going along with it. And he says, uh, are these lovebirds? And she says, those are redbirds. And he's like, I thought they were strawberry finches. Oh, uh, yes. Well, we call them that, too. I love that line. That cracked me up because it's like he got her and she tried to play it off anyway. Um, another sign of the times, go, fast forward a little bit, is just how trusting everyone is. <laughs> Like everyone's willing oh, to yeah. just tell Melanie everything there is to know about Mitch and tell her where the school teacher lives and all that. I thought that was uh that's very 1963 ish. Uh, I did enjoy how Hitchcock filmed the scene when she's driving, how the birds, every time she takes a curve, like the birds are swaying in their little cage. I thought that was funny. Um, oh, and she was driving like 210 miles an hour in that car. In that Aston Martin, which is another yeah. sign that she is very high up in society. She doesn't need to oh, be uh, breaking plate windows and jumping fountains naked, which, again, in 1963, <laughs> if she jumped in the fountain naked, I'd probably jump in, too. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> overall, though, I, I, I do. <sighs> There's some fluff in these scenes, just like there is in every set of scenes. Uh, and that goes to the two-hour runtime. I don't need yeah. all of this, but overall, I think it's a solid opening to the screen. Uh, shout out to the title card. I love how they just get right to the shit. Like, this is the birds, and here's everyone that's in it. No music. Just listen to these squawking-ass birds and get annoyed <laughs> because that's what you're going to be. Uh, that's how you're going to feel about these birds for the next two hours. So uh, it really sets the tone there and gets you on, on edge right away. Uh, so, yeah, that's how I got on the first couple scenes. Squawking ass birds. That's going on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie fills out a card for Kathy to go along with the lovebirds. She gets to the dock to board her boat. She goes across his bay all by herself and heads towards Mitch's house. She paddles and ties off on their dock and heads towards their house with the birds. She sneaks to the house and walks right inside and sets the birdcage on a footstool. She goes to leave and boards her boat and paddles away. She watches Mitch go inside and he runs out and looks across the bay. She fires up the motor when he comes back out, but he sees her through binoculars. He gets in his car and heads to town. Mitch waits on her at the dock, but she's hit in the head by a seagull. The two exit the boat, and he takes her to the restaurant to get her wound patched up. They get to the restaurant and sit down. They get her some cotton and peroxide, and he cleans up her cup. And we find out now he's a criminal lawyer. She lies about why she's in Bodega. He says, you came to see me. She called her father's new uh, she called her father's newspaper to get his information. He introduces Melanie to his mother Lydia. He invites Melanie over to their house for dinner. Uh, Lydia, I wrote Lydia isn't looking too friendly. She lies about staying with Annie and tries to make up a reason to not attend dinner. Melanie is back at Annie's house and asks about staying in her room for rent. She only has little luggage and is only staying because of unexpected circumstances. Annie sees more migrating seagulls as they go inside. Melanie gets to Mitch's house and meets Kathy, and she loves the birds. Lydia calls the man who sold her the chicken feed because they're not eating it. He thinks something is going on with the birds. Lydia says she'll go over to the man's house whose chickens also wouldn't eat. All right, Brian, that's, only, uh, that's the next two scenes I got. There's kind of, like y'all said, a lot of fluff, but. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot. Um, I have even less on the next group of scenes, but, you know, it, I, it's just, just more character development in this group of scenes, you mm -hmm. know, it, too too much probably in my opinion like you said 
Um, you know, some stuff of note I wrote down was how funny it was that uh, that Melanie literally broke into his damn house to leave these birds. <laughs> but but the funny thing is, is when he finds them, his ass sprints out of there like he found some dead body or something. It was like walked in, boom, Sandra, Deion Sanders sprint on the way out. It was, but it was just super unnatural the way he ran. I don't know. It cracked me up to see that. Um, well, I don't know, man. If you walked in your house and you found a fucking birdcage, wouldn't you run outside to see what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. He, I don't. That shit's funny. Go watch that again. That shit was funny. Um, and again, I think the movie suffers right here from the lack of soundtrack. I think it makes it makes the movie drag a little bit here in some places. Um, and obviously, I think that intense runtime could have passed along a little better with with a little bit of soundtrack. Um, let me a little plug. If you go on YouTube and you look up uh, the birds' uh, attack sequence with full symphonic score, uh, Mark Perella put together put put together like a basically a soundtrack that would have been for the times and put it in here and i honestly i think it makes some of these scenes better so i don't know it's worth checking out if you guys have some time and want to go check that out um something of note i thought was very interesting and you know i think it happens a few times in this movie and uh and in this scene there's like a there's a phone call happening but yet there's also a conversation happening behind it too and you can honestly focus either on on either conversation, on the phone or the people talking behind it. So I thought it, you know, as a viewer, I thought it was pretty unique. And, you know, even still today. And I thought that that was it was at least noticed by me and worth mentioning. Um, I think Suzanne uh, Plachette does a great job in this movie as well. I really like Annie. And, you know, and apparently Hitchcock beefed up the role some and made it younger specifically for her. And, and I can see why. Like her and Rod Taylor barely have any interaction in this movie but i think that you know there's a hint where you know that they were exes i think that that was kind of a nod to the fact that they played love interest like years before in two other productions and uh would again a few years later in a film called the hunter and that's kind of something hitchcock liked to do in some of his movies we would add or put little things in there like that nuances and stuff like that um you know lastly the scene here with annie it's what I was referring to earlier when I said like the hint about the full moon, you know, and Hitchcock just giving you something, something for you to latch on to as, as possible explanation for, for your mind to explore there. Yeah. So uh, I don't have a lot on this either. Just a couple. I mean, I want to say that this movie debunks most uh, geographical theories because the shortest point between two points is definitely not a straight line. Uh, <laughs> she, she jumps in a boat. And he drives all the way around the bay and beats her. That's some bullshit right there. Um, <laughs> this scene did a, did a lot of character development as far as the storyline and the interest. I mean, the sexual tension, uh, or since it's such innocent times in 1963, just the flirting between Rod and Melanie is, is very abundant in this movie. You can tell that they're into each other, but they don't want to say that they're into each other. So, I mean, is it necessary? No, but... It kind of makes sense why they feel comfortable with her staying as long as she did. That you know he's into her, so it makes sense there. Uh, this this set of scenes we get introduced to. I mean, this the cast of this movie is phenomenal. You get Jessica Tandy who plays yeah. Lydia. Uh, you know she's been in everything. She was Miss Daisy and Driving Miss Daisy. She was in Fried Green Tomato. So uh, well respected actress there. And we also get Veronica Cartwright playing Kathy's a young Veronica Cartwright. You may know her as Lambert from. Uh, alien but you also may know her as the mother in the opening scene of scary movie 2 which we just reviewed so uh i thought that was funny it's like the last two movies i've picked have had her in it 
Um, hey, Dustin, totally where, can they find that? where can they find that review at, Dustin? Uh, there's this great website. It's uh, com, And you can find all of our website as, or all of our episodes as well as some merchandise. Um, yeah, so I don't really have anything else. Kathy hugging this complete stranger just because she bought her some fucking birds. Like, Jesus Christ, girl, get it together. Don't, you know, don't put yourself out there like that. Uh, that stranger could have shanked you right in front of your mom and brother. Um, this is why this is why she gets killed from behind in aliens. This is exactly <laughs> exactly. Why. She's too trusting. Um, too trusting. <laughs> so, yeah, that's basically all I got on these scenes. Just uh, like you said, a lot of fluff. Now, I, I do want to say because I actually really enjoy the fact that this movie has no soundtrack. I know that we are complete opposites on that. But the reason I'm okay with it and the reason I actually love it is because it does make this whole movie just feel eerie. This is not something you're used to when you watch a, a horror movie or a movie in general. Is there you know no background music, no soundtrack, no score. And it really kind of makes you uneasy watching some of these scenes. Like when he's looking across the bay and she's in the boat, which, by the way, it's hilarious watching her try to crank that boat. But uh, during that scene, Typical movie would have had this light music like, uh, you know, like it's a scene from Bonanza or some shit where he's falling in love across the water. But no, we get it's it's kind of creepy as shit. Like he's just watching her. No, no sound. No, nothing. Uh, not, not even any squawking ass birds in this scene. So uh, I actually really like that because it does kind of make the whole feel just uh, the whole film just have this unnerving feel to it. So. I agree with you. And definitely in some parts, there are some scenes that I even say in my notes that I really like the lack of soundtrack. Yeah. Just some, some of, some of it though, like is weird to me. I don't know. I'll, I'll get to some That's of fair. It, but it's just, it's, it's up and down. There's some scenes I love it and some scenes I, I, I hate it. So. That's fair. Our Kathy talks to Melanie while she plays the piano. Mitch has a client who shot his wife six times. Shout out to Dr. Loomis. She asked <laughs> Melanie if she's coming to our party tomorrow. She says, don't tell anyone if you do come, because it's a surprise party. She asks her to please come. She's begging her. Lydia and Mitch talk in the kitchen about how that he and Melanie met. She asks if she's rich, and I wrote, it seems like Lydia doesn't like Melanie. Mitch walks Melanie out to her car, and he asks if she'd like to go swimming when he's in San Francisco. They debate on the story. She was pushed into the fountain. He asks about her knowing Annie and why she is here. She drives off pissed, and Mitch notices all the birds on the power lines. Melanie gets back to Annie's house. She gets herself some brandy and how he invited her to meet Lydia. She complains how Lydia treated her. She feels her existence just bothered her. She's friendly to her now that she and Mitch aren't a thing. Uh, Annie tells her that Lydia is afraid of being abandoned. Annie hasn't left Bodega because she doesn't want to lose Mitch's friendship. Mitch calls for Melanie on the phone. She asks if she's angry, then invites her to Kathy's birthday party. Melanie goes to her room to go to sleep and ask Annie if she thinks she should go to the party. A thud at the door, and it's a seagull that hit the door. Next day at the party, Mitch shows Melanie the views, and they share a drink. She says she has to work tomorrow, and Mitch doesn't believe her. She explains her schedule and says she's free on Fridays, and sometimes she goes to the bird shops, she says, as she and Mitch share a smile. Melanie gets emotional when she tells Mitch of her mother leaving, and she heads back to the party now. There's not a whole lot there, but the action starts to pick up after this. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, like I said, I have almost no notes on this group of scenes. But, you know, all in all, all I do basically in these notes is bitch about the fact that I actually lose track that I'm even watching the birds at this point in the movie. Uh, like, we're seriously, I mean, like, I think 
45 to almost an hour into this movie at this point, which, you know, okay, I definitely care about these characters. So it did do the character development, it accomplished what it needed to do. But to me, like, I just, I, I don't know. It was, I'm just like, wow, thinking about, I got a whole another hour of this movie left. When are the fucking birds going to catch, get into this thing? But, and by the way, I, I 100% see the ridiculousness you know, in a nobody from Chattanooga, Tennessee, sitting here critiquing one of the greatest horror writers and directors in the history of cinema. <laughs> so that's not, that's definitely not lost on me. I can almost hear the fuck you, Brian, you don't understand listeners right there right now. But I will also like to take the opportunity to say that, you know, the original story that this was based on by uh, Daphne de Marque, de, de Marcy, de Maurice, de Maurice, I don't know, French. Anyway, share. They absolutely share uh, no characters. Um, and in fact, the only in common, the Bayside town setting, the bizarre, the birds' bizarre behavior, and their inexplicable tendency to launch frenzied attacks fall dormant only to attack again later. And the title, um, you know, in her story, the uh, the main character discovers that, you know, this pattern is directly related to the rise and fall of the tides and uses it to their advantage, as opposed to this movie, which kind of seems to follow the same pattern, but never really makes a direct connection, which honestly I like. Um, also, the original story takes place in Britain, you know, and centers around a man protecting his wife and two children at their isolated college, a cottage, as opposed to this movie, which that's uh, it's just some interesting differences in the, in the two. First of all, I want to say, Brian, that I love how you have, uh, you know, you feel the need to walk it back a little bit and apologize to Alfred Hitchcock. But you have no problem shitting on Rob Zombie or Stanley Kubrick, so I want to know what the fuck that's about. But Hitchcock. This is Hitchcock we're talking about here. It's Rob fucking Zombie. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have a lot on these scenes either. Um, it's just, you know, a lot of, I don't want to say unnecessary, but unnecessary uh it's weird to me that when she gets to the to her house she just starts playing the piano like you ever had a stranger in your house and they just start playing your fucking musical instruments like that who does that but uh you know that that's just that's just to me that's melanie trying to peacock in front of her love interest here she's trying to spread those uh wings to attract a mate which is a little inappropriate in front of the little sister and the mom but um you know also, I think in that same same setting, it's a little bit weird how they made light and even kind of laughed about the murder. Like <laughs> they kind of poked fun at the fact that he shot his wife in the head six times. That was a little bit weird to me considering he's an attorney. Um, <laughs> but then you know we get over to Annie's house and it's there's some definite tension there between Annie and Melanie. Like I was picking up like Annie's definitely jealous of Melanie. But that doesn't really go anywhere, and I wish it would have. I wish they would have explored it, like made them not enemies, but maybe made it to where Annie is, you know, when they go, the scene later in the diner where you get the hysterical woman who kind of blames it on Melanie. I kind of wish that Annie would have been in on that because it would have made sense because, you know, she wants Mitch to herself is what we're, that's kind of how they're painting this picture, making it look like she's jealous because uh, she's interested in Mitch and they have a history, blah, blah, blah. And she's jealous that she's getting to spend time with the family when the mother hated her guts. So I wish they yeah. would have used that. That, that would have made it, made this make more sense to me. 
That would have been really good, actually. But it didn't go anywhere, and this scene can go to hell. But the bird flying into the door was a nice remember or a nice reminder that, oh, yeah, this movie's called The Birds because the birds are the murderers, and the bird is the word. <laughs> Which, by the way, I did not know until today. Uh, I did not know until today that that song, The Bird is the Word, came out the same year. I wonder if they're, I wonder if that's coincidence or intentional. Anyway, go ahead. Hey, the first time I ever heard that song, I think was on Family Guy. Family Guy, yeah, definitely. (laughs) What's the word? Oh, you know the word. (laughs) (laughs) Our back to the party, and Annie looking. I heard Annie's looking hella jealous, and now Seagull starting to attack all the kids and the party attendees. The adults gather up the kids and get them all inside. Melanie asks Mitch if this is usual with the bird activity. Back at the Brenner house, they sit to eat, and then birds swarm them in the living room through the chimney. Mitch swats at the birds and props the coffee table against the fireplace. Then Officer Al comes to the house and gives them no good advice. They explain to him how they were attacked at the party, and Melanie was hit by a gull on her boat. He says to put some screen on the chimney. Melanie and Kathy go get her things from the car. Lydia goes to Mr. Forsett's house to check on his chickens not eating feed. She knocks on the door to no answer. She goes inside and finds his room wrecked and him dead on the floor with his eyes pecked out. She runs out speechless and drives away. She gets back home shook up, and she runs inside. Mitch tells Melanie he's going over, and they hug and kiss before he goes. Melanie makes Lydia some tea and takes it to her. Lydia asks if she thinks Kathy is safe at school. Lydia is very scared of the birds attacking Kathy at school through the windows. She now tells Melanie of her husband passing. She doesn't want Melanie to leave and wants to understand her because Mitch is fond of her. Lydia doesn't want to be left alone. Melanie offers to go check on Kathy at school to comfort Lydia. She thanks her for the tea and goes to sleep. Melanie goes to the school now, and they're all singing. God damn, fuck that song. (laughs) Melanie goes back outside and sits on a bench by the playground. She lights a smoke, and we see birds landing behind her on the monkey bars. Melanie turns and sees all the birds now and heads back to the school. Melanie tells Annie to close the door and shows her all the birds outside. Annie quiets the students and says they're doing a fire drill and to go home if you live close or go to the bottom of the hill. The birds attack the students as they run away from the school, pecking at their faces and heads. Melanie gets in her car with Kathy and another kid. She honks her horn, scaring the birds off of it. All right, Brian, go ahead. That's the next two scenes, brother. <laughs> Look, I-, I will say that the attack came out of nowhere, and I loved it. Um, and this is a place where, Dustin, I feel like the lack of soundtrack did really work with this attack. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this sheriff obviously went to work at fucking Haddonfield in the twilight of his career because <laughs> this is some straight-up Haddonfield police work right here. I felt I felt Mitch when he's trying to, like, you know, explain, and the dude's like, birthday? How old is she? Quite a mess here. And Mitch is like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know, dude. I just, <laughs> I loved it. And uh, when Lydia finds the body, it was a nice touch with the eyes, you know, but the blood effects were a little too red. Another thing you don't have to worry about with black and white films. And this is like a place where I felt like it needed some soundtrack. You know, I needed some I needed some of that intense piano musical trigger or something, you know, when she sees the dead body. Um, and, and Lydia driving her ass home so fast, I half expected old mama to run into a little hanky panky going on when she got home. But uh, I think it slows down, you know, a lot here after that, you know, kind of killing the tension like way down now. I mean, I do like that school scene and, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good tension with Melanie looking over at the birds on the school equipment, 
But the plan of, okay, kids, run, can't say that that was the best number one plan there, Annie. Especially, like, when you find out later that she lives right by the fucking school in the other direction, like, one house down. It's just the old motto, fuck them kids, I guess, just because they're on their own and we're going to just hop up in this ride real quick. Um, uh, Oh, and you know, actually, someone actually lives in this old schoolhouse now. Apparently, like, it's the old... Potter Schoolhouse, which was in service from 1873 to 1961, but is now a private residence, believe it or not. Um, lastly, the schoolhouse children running scene, I can appreciate a lot more knowing how difficult it was, especially back then for them during their reshoots. Hitchcock had them on the back lots of Universal running on a treadmill <laughs> with a combination of like fake and real crows attacking them. <laughs> and like, so, and you had several of the children who would like fall. And then the other was like, cause they were in a line. So the others would all like knock down kind of like a little league football team, like running through the paper. So it took them a few days to get right. So that's that, those little tidbits make me appreciate that little, uh, the tw- 15, 20 second scene a lot more. Yeah. I would pay money to see those outtakes of those kids falling because uh, they made Michael Jordan proud here. Fuck them kids. That is hilarious. Um, so I want to say that every critique that I've had uh, in this review up until now is totally redeemed in this set of scenes. I think this set of scenes is perfectly done. Everything about it. Uh, now, granted, that cop did make uh, Deputy Dewey look like the best cop, uh, you know, this side of the Mississippi. But... I, thought, I do not. I do not argue with that. That is the truth. <laughs> uh, the, I do like the the way that the living room scene was was shot. How they're just sitting there, and then she sees one bird. She's like, "Oh shit!" But before she can alert everyone, like, "Hey, we need to go!" Like, too late, bitch. They're already here. And <laughs> yeah. I I want to sh- I want to give a shout out to Rod Taylor for the way he acted that because they're you know all that uh, all those birds that were added to that after the fact, you know that. He was just out there swatting for the hell of it, and uh, he was acting his ass off. With no, I, that would be another scene that I would like to see, just how it was shot, because he probably looked like you know the scene in Tommy Boy when they get out of the car and they start running and blame it on the bees. Like that's that's what he was look. He had to have looked like. There's nothing there, but uh, I thought that that you know that was a brilliantly shot scene. How the the intensity and the tension that's built with her seeing it, and then that moment of oh shit and then the floodgates open so i thought that was great and uh i thought that farmer dan's dead body the effects on that were great i know what you're saying with the blood being too red or whatever but uh again i want to go back to the fact it's 1963 and uh you know sure they probably could have made something that looked a little bit more like blood back then but the way that they uh made his eyes look like they had been pecked out was holy shit that's well done like that's some better effects than some of the movies we reviewed on here and so um i thought that was that was well done the the tea scene where melanie takes the seat the tea into the bedroom to lydia um apparently had to be shot twice because the first time they shot it uh hitchcock gave her the direction to kind of act a little bit bitchy towards lydia but then upon watching it, Jessica Tandy said, no, nah, I don't like the way that came across. Let's run it back, Turbo. And she made her she made him reshoot it. Uh, and that's when she was more affectionate. So a uh, little peek behind the curtain there. And then the school scene to me is everything. I know that song is annoying to Nico 
and it goes on for too long. It's like three and a half minutes of those kids singing. Um, but it's so eerie. It's creepy. And the way that the film, the, the scene is shot where it's, uh, it'll show you a bird and show you the, uh, the, the, the jungle gym or whatever you want to call it there. There's a couple birds on it. Then it goes right back in tight to Melanie's face and she's sitting there all together and then it'll show you another bird, but it never shows you just how many birds are there. And that's another one of those moments where you're like, Oh shit. Like you can feel the tension and, and the, the panic, but she couldn't panic because she didn't want to draw too much attention. But I agree. Having those kids go outside was hilarious. I have to think that, uh, that was done intentional because of the times. And what I mean by that is this is in no way a reflection of how I feel, but in the times of 1963, women, especially in film, were not portrayed as being, uh, the smartest. And so I think that that, that had to play into it. Like, yeah, let's have these women lead these kids outside when the fucking birds are flying down, trying to kill everybody. Uh, that had to be a nod to the times and, and as far as sexism and gender roles back then, because there's no way in hell they thought that that was actually going to work. <laughs> well, Hey, and when you're talking about the blood being too red, like that's why I said, I, I kind of, especially in these old movies that, that do that, especially mm. this close to the black and white era, I kind of think that, okay, well they've got this, this standard that they have for like, all right, blood is this color because right. it shows up it, because it shows up better in black and white. And mm. so like that, that's, that's why I, I kind of, when I see the red blood, that's what made me think, all right, well, I'm yeah. sure maybe that would have looked really good in black and white because it would have been, you know, a different shade of gray yeah. and, you know, a different, you know, you could tell a little bit more. That's just how I write it off. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I get you. Are back at the restaurant, she calls her dad to tell the story. An old woman tells her there's a difference between crows and blackbirds. She says birds bring beauty to the world and mankind makes it difficult for life on this planet. We get an end of the world guy chiming in now. And now the sea captain says his boats got attacked by the gulls. Melanie believes the birds are trying to kill the children. A businessman shows up trying to get some midday liquor as the other restaurant attendees chat. Businessman says to get a gun and wipe out the birds. Kids at the table are scared of the stories they're hearing. Mitch and Officer Al show up and tell them about the death at the house. They now talk about the gulls flocking into Santa Cruz, but nothing happened. The businessman finishes his drink so the scared mother can follow him to the freeway. Melanie hears gulls flying and sees a man pumping gas get attacked. His gas keeps pumping and flows to the businessman's car, and he steps out to light his cigar. They try to warn him, but he ignites the fuel, lighting his car on fire in the gas station. Gulls fill the screen now and attack the people. Melanie, this is, you know, the most, I would probably say the most iconic scene. Melanie gets in a phone booth and is swarmed as she watches the chaos. She runs out the booth when gulls fly into it, cracking the glass. Mitch helps her get back inside the restaurant. The others inside all look shook up, and the mother asks, why are they doing this? She, I wrote, she basically blames Melanie for the bird's attack, calling her evil. Mitch and Melanie head to Annie's to pick up Kathy. The crows are back on the monkey bars. They get to Annie's house to find her dead outside of the house on the ground. They get Kathy out the house, still alive and crying. Mitch covers Annie with his jacket. Melanie says not to leave her there, so he puts her body inside her house. They leave the house and get in Melanie's car. Kathy says they heard the explosion and went outside to see what it was, and the birds covered Annie as she saved her. 
right, that's the next two scenes. I got Brian, and the next two are the ending. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, this is probably my favorite set of scenes, uh, but by God, I have some questions. <laughs> first, first of all, I, I love the drunk guy at the bar quoting the Bible, um, but I feel like this, this 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 bar scene went on too long, like before the next bird attack. It's, it's another one of those scenes I think it's got some fluff. Um, also worth noting is that dude who was going to give the old lady, who who I, the, I, by the way, I thought the old lady was a grandma of those two girls, but I believe they called her mom. I don't know, more age weirdness there. Quit smoking. But anyway, <laughs> that uh, that businessman sure chugs that whiskey quick and then goes to get in the car. That's de- <laughs> definitely a product of the times. Um, something interesting of note that uh, that I read that I thought was really cool was actually that service station that explodes. That's, you know, diagonal to the uh, restaurant. In reality, this station did not exist at the time of filming. However, several years later, a service station was built right there in that spot and is still located at the exact same spot shown in the movie today. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I did love the sky shot of the birds hovering over the fire, like ready to attack. You know, and of course, that classic scene in that phone booth, you know, that's so synonymous with this movie. Um, I think Tippy, can I call her, call her Tippy? Yeah, we're on a first name basis now, I think. <laughs> Tippy, Tippy does well. Very well acting during those scenes. And, and you know, you, you we talked about how they did stuff. I always, in really old movies like this, when you see an overhead shot, you know, we take those for granted nowadays. And we're thinking, you know, okay, that's done by a drone. Or, you know, even the later the later uh, uh, years, you know, oh, okay, boom, that's definitely a helicopter. I'm sure that helicopters were not exactly easiest things to get a hold of in 1963 just to, to go off and and shoot landscapes and things like that so um i i definitely appreciate those uh those big shots like that now um especially from back then and i'll tell you what this is the scene i was talking about earlier i'm not a fan of the hallway scene at all i think they need to call that dude from office space for a jump to conclusions matt because what all those fucking people have shown up to the bar the last few days. Like, I don't know. Like, they just totally jumped to, all right, it's your fucking fault, Melanie. Uh, so, I don't know. These, uh, it, what's hilarious is just my notes of, like, the rest of this scene because it's exactly what I wrote here. I was like, why are they walking past these crows and not driving the fucking car? And then I wrote, wait, Annie lives right next to the fucking school. Why the hell didn't they run the other way from the school earlier? So, I ain't already said that, but that's exactly what I wrote in my notes at this point here. So uh, I have nothing further to say, Your Honor. <laughs> so uh, first of all, I want to say it's corny as hell that they just happened to put an ornithologist in the diner there. Like, have you guys ever been out and just met an ornithologist? I know I didn't. I had to look up what that fucking word meant after I watched this movie. So uh, that lady at the bar just like, oh, there's very much so a distinct difference between blackbirds and crows. Get the fuck out of here. No one knows that shit. Um, anyway, sorry. The diner scene, I like the diner scene, though, because it introduced a lot of characters that just had little, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in this diner scene, but it wasn't too much. It wasn't overly done. It did drag on a little bit long, I agree. But uh, I want to touch on something you said when you said stop smoking. I mean, the explosion, Jesus Christ, this whole movie is a po- is a uh, ad for don't smoke yeah. cigarettes. Um, and also, I want to say that that gas pump, that was an impressive stream when he dropped the gas pump and it flowed downhill that far. I mean, that could be an ad for Flomax. Sorry, I had to do it. Um, <laughs> Don't cross the streams. <laughs> uh, the explosion was just fucking chaos, though. Like, you know, dude's pumping his gas. 
He gets the shit pecked out of him. He dies. Spills gas down the hill. <laughs> Old drunk bastard just drops his matches, blows himself up. I mean, that shit is chaos. That right there should have been the end scene to the movie. Uh, maybe not right then, <laughs> but I would have much rather this movie end, which is like the whole town burning down because these birds like that shit would have been hilarious. But uh, anyway, I do agree that the the shot from the sky was iconic and very impressively done. Uh, you know, that's just goes to the uh, goes to show the dedication that Hitchcock had into making everything a masterpiece and making everything meaningful. Um I, I really liked it. The only thing I would have wished is that uh, Kubrick did it so that it would have lasted longer. I knew you were, were going to fucking pull Kubrick there. I was, I knew you were going to. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. This is the ending, y'all. Mitch is boarding up all the windows at their house. Their phone and power's out. Lydia calls them inside and has them watch the news. Lydia and Mitch begin to argue, but she apologizes when she realizes what she said about her husband. Kathy asks if she can bring the lovebirds in, but Lydia forbids it. Mitch is checking all the doors and windows to make sure everything is closed and snug. Kathy asks why the birds are trying to kill people, but he doesn't know. Kathy says she feels sick, and Melanie takes her to the bathroom. They hear more bird noises outside and get scared. Mitch puts more wood on the fire to keep them out the chimney. Gulls try to crash through the windows and peck through the front door. Mitch goes to the bathroom to treat his wound, but notices the door getting pecked and puts furniture in front of it. He now nails the door shut. Their lights go out, and everyone except Melanie falls asleep. She hears a bird's wing flapping inside the house. She whispers to Mitch, but he doesn't wake up. She gets a flashlight and heads upstairs. She opens the door to her room and sees a hole in the roof. She flashes the light at the bed and is swarmed by the birds. And I wrote, Jesus Christ, Melanie, yell, leave the room, do something. (laughs) Mitch finally gets upstairs, but can't get the door open at first, because her body is blocking the door. He gets the door open and drags her out the room. He asks for brandy and peroxide, and Melanie wakes up and swats at Mitch, thinking she's still being attacked. Mitch says we have to get her to a hospital. He says they better go now between attacks. Mitch walks outside with birds all over his porch and house. He gets to the garage and listens on the radio about the bird attacks. The reason of the bird attacks isn't known. He opens the garage and drives her car out. He goes inside to help escort her to the car so they can leave. The path to their car is full of birds, and Melanie doesn't want to go out there, still in fear. He gets Lydia and Melanie in the car and goes back for Kathy, who brings the lovebirds along. Lydia embraces Melanie in the back seat. Mitch drives them away from the house and all the birds, and I wrote the film ends with a yard full of birds squawking. All right, go ahead, Brian. What did you think about the ending? <laughs> by, by the way, whenever you were reading that, I don't know why, I just want to share this. But uh, you said that you know she was laying on the couch and he was asking for Brandy. And for some reason, it pop, Brenda popped in my head from Scary Movie and been like, who the fuck is Brandy? <laughs> like, I don't know why that popped up. I don't know why that popped in my head. But uh, anyway, okay, back to back to the reviewer. Um, look, Lydia, like losing her shit here and then like Mitch's solution is for her to go go make some coffee because that's what this bitch needs is some more caffeine okay <laughs> all right <laughs> um all right so the lack of soundtrack to me works when they're like waiting in the house <clears throat> but another scene where Titchin kind of dwindles away and like it isn't just built back up because I think that this kind of part this part goes on a little bit too long before the birds are attacking again. There's definitely some tightening up that I, I think should have been done with the cuts, but again, you know, I'm not Hitchcock. 
but like in a complete 180 though the lack of soundtrack with the birds squealching and you know uh, with the power goes out i think it's very effective especially like when they're just like under that lantern light very ominous the very first time that i really felt tension in this movie like for sure and i think that had a lot to do with it being night and you know i kind of have a thing for horror movies at nighttime i don't know so i i, I think it, it set the mood then for me um, now it's funny Nico said what he did because the Melanie being attacked in the room scene with no screaming, the poorest escape attempt I've ever seen. It was actually more frustrating to watch that more than anything. But I'll say this, this is where it should have ended. Like, I think that she should have died. And, you know, then you show the birds like making their way downstairs, but you're just steady on like a dead Melanie's face and you can just hear everyone else downstairs screaming. Boom. And that's the end of the movie. Brian Hitchcock's the name. I think that I think that uh, we should have made it right there. I uh, just made a better movie, um, but but that but that didn't happen. So we get a bandaged up Melanie that looks like she just got her wisdom teeth taken out more than eaten by any birds. But okay, and uh, but I will say it was some great acting by Tippy. Like I will, I will on a serious note, she's great acting by her when she's been taken out to the car. Mm-hmm. I think she looked genuinely terrified. Like I thought that was a really good look, mm-hmm. and uh, I I love the exchange between Melanie and Lydia in the car. Like. No words are spoken, just the way they looked at each other and comforted each other. Like they kind of gave each other what they needed, you know, in that whole form of that mother daughter relationship that she, I think, said early in the movie, she didn't have a mother and that, 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 uh, that relationship. So was that earned? I don't know if that's debatable, but I really think that was a really good moment. Um, and when I say it's not, was it earned? Like this is a two hour movie. So I'm not saying that it wasn't explored. I just think that there wasn't, a, it, the timeline was only a couple of days, but man, these relationships all went very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, they were very trusting, you know, uh, Melanie and was it Mitch like, like shit. He was like, almost like they'd been married for 10 years after, you know, two or three hours, the way that he was talking to her. So I just think, felt like when I say it was earned, I just feel like the relationships didn't advance or advance too quickly. I guess it's, it didn't advance at a normal humanoid speed. I don't know. But, uh, but that was a good moment. That was a very good moment. And uh, lastly, you know, again, I'll say that I think that this would have been more effective all the way through in black and white. And that's just me. I think that it would have been. And I think the ending shouldn't have been so happy. You know, I, I think that they maybe should have all died in that house. Or like Dustin said, have the whole town just burned to the ground. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, first of all, Kathy, sweetie. You want to take these birds. They're birds. Are you dumb, stupid, or dense? Like, what's going on? Like, you see what these fucking things are doing all over town, and you're like, can we take these? They ain't done anything bad yet. Anyway, um, Melanie goes upstairs, or Melanie going upstairs. Uh, no, nah, honey, that don't work for me. Wake his ass up. <laughs> like, you're just going to, oh, I hear what sounds like birds. Let me just go upstairs and check it out. Um, and then how did that big ass hole get in the, in the roof? Like Jesus Christ, uh, these birds, uh, got hair, got, you know, uh, pickaxes and shit. And they're just up there, uh, digging a hole through the, through the attic. I don't, I don't like that. That doesn't work for me. Um, and then I, I love how she saw the hole, saw the birds and her instinct was to go into that room. <laughs> not, and close the not close the door and the door, yeah, it wasn't a pull door. Like she had to push to enter the room, which means that it was more inconvenient for her to go inside and stand in front of the door than it would have been to just close it back the way she came. 
But nonetheless, it happened. Um, look, the ending of the movie, I agree with you. Um, I don't like that it was so anticlimactic. Uh, you know, they just drove off and we don't really know what happened, but we're assuming everyone lived happily ever after and the birds didn't continue to terrorize their lives. But we don't know that. But look, this is a shit ton of birds. Like, that was a lot of birds in that final scene. And so it's still very unnerving and uh, creepy as shit just because the amount of birds that were there. But I don't like how... Yeah, I agree. It shouldn't have been so happy. At least someone should have died in that house, if not all four of them. And uh, this goes back to what I said about uh, the relationship with Annie. Like, I feel like that was a little anticlimactic. It didn't really pan out. And the ending of this didn't really pan out. So either the birds cause mad chaos and burn the whole town down, or I like what you said, have uh, the camera kind of, kind of like a, a Blair Witch Project ending where Melanie, uh, Melanie's down and the camera is just staying in front of her face, but we can see shadows in the background and hear the screams. So like we know some bad shit's going, but we don't even necessarily have to see it. Like shoot it, something like that. So, uh, I agree with what you said a hundred percent there, Brian. Um, but overall it's 1963. I don't know that that's in the cards. I don't know. That might've been too dark for the times. I mean, for yeah, God's true. sake, we see how, uh, how innocent everyone else in this entire movie is and how trusting they are and how just happy go lucky everything is. So maybe that was just too dark, but, uh, that goes to what Nico was saying earlier about it not aging. Well, is I think that's just, we're conditioned to movies ending darker in this genre. So take it for what it's worth. Overall, I thought it was a uh, satisfactory ending to the film, but could have been better. Uh, something else. Oh, yeah. Something else. I wanted one more thing. I wanted to say about this last scene that I thought was funny as hell, because it was uh, uh, Tippy and uh, is it Kathy, the daughter? She like, and I think I even think Melanie that they were all you know when the birds were were you know on trying to get in the windows and going everywhere. Like Mitch is running around like he doesn't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my hands. And like they're they're like cut tucked in the corner. And so his solution was like, all right. You know, and he picks them up and like puts them on chairs. Like that was his solution. Like I'm gonna go get you out of the safe, out of safety's corners, and I'm just gonna sit you back in the middle of the room in, in these chairs. Like that was that was Mitch's uh, saving grace, I guess. I don't know. I I just thought that was funny. I was like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm kind of with you, uh, both of you. Um, I think they could have ended this movie a little better. I think. I mean, all they did was drive to the hospital after this. Why didn't they drive instead of going back to Mitch's house? Go to San Francisco then. Like, why not just go then? You save some runtime. But you know, it, it is what it is. It wasn't bad. Uh, well, let's jump into one Facebook question we have from Michelle Mirza before we do our fun facts. She said, "I am a fan of this film. I am a fan of Alfred Hitchcock films in general. How important do you think Alfred Hitchcock in films like this?" were in paving the way for modern horror films. Uh, Dustin, do you want to take that on first? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't think that uh, the horror genre would be what it is without Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, you can't run without walking first. You can't walk without crawling first. And I think that Hitchcock did a lot of crawling that turned into walking, and that's how we got present-day running. And that's the best analogy I could think of. He really paved the way and uh, did a lot of things that were unheard of 
at the time and transcended uh, the genre in a lot of ways and the time periods. So I think it's a, it's impossible to put a uh, measurable, uh, measurable term on his impact. No, I, I completely agree. You said it. Um, he, He's known for doing horror and and very rightfully so. But I mean, he did a lot of you know shit. He's well, very well known for some other. I mean, a lot of people think that his best movie ever was a World War II movie. Um, you know that he did. So it's like you know he's a very groundbreaking filmmaker to say the least. And you know, Dustin said how many films he did over that period of time. That's outrageous. But you know what? You you know you don't do that if you're making shitty films, mm-hmm. and you don't do that if you know you're not, and you don't do that and not learn. And so you know, heck, I mean, I, groundbreaking is just like you said. It's hard to put put it even into words. So I absolutely agree with you. I mean, he has uh, 452 titles credited to his name on IMDb. 452. Now that's not all writing or directing or, or what have you that's total uh, everything that he did but that's a lot it's crazy oh yeah and like you guys have mentioned three years before this he did psycho yeah right and that's that's no that's rated as top three horror movie of all time and this the shower scene is probably the one of the most famous scenes in movie history right so yeah um, I, I can't really speak on it too much because i'm not too familiar with him but I mean, if if you directed Psycho, I mean, yeah, you you uh, made a giant impact on the genre. Uh, let's jump into fun facts real quick, guys. Uh, does anybody want to go first? I have quite a few, so if anyone wants to go first, they can. I've got three. I, hey, I've only got one because so many. I mean, I said so many during during my review. I Same. only had the one. Um, so in the in the Birds Two lands in that came out in nineteen ninety four. Tippi Hedren did not play her character in this movie of Melanie Daniels, but a character named Helen. There you go. Yeah, and The Birds 2 is a dud, just for anyone wondering. <laughs> that movie has a 2.9 rating on IMDb, and I would give it less than that. But anyway, um, I'll go ahead and get mine out of the way. I've got three quick fun facts here. Uh, the UK premiere in London had uh, fake bird noises playing outside the theater to further this, uh, the scare and suspense for moviegoers. That'd be creepy as shit. I mean, you got to think, 1963, like I said, it's a different time. So you walk outside the movie theater after seeing this, and you hear bird sounds coming from the trees. That's got to be creepy. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, this one was, I did not know this. Shout out to James A. Janice from the Dead Meat uh, podcast and Dead Meat channel on YouTube. I learned this watching his Kill Count review of this film. The special effects for this movie, the visual effects, were done by, and I'm probably not going to say his name right, Ub Iwerks. His first name is spelled U-B. Last name is I-W-E-R-K-S. That, that name in itself may not mean much to you, but if I told you that he designed Mickey Mouse, like oh, the shit. actual Mickey Mouse, you'd know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, that guy did the uh, visual effects for this movie. I think that's incredible. That blew my mind. Um, last thing that I've got is just uh, speaking of how Hitchcock found Tippi Hedren. So he apparently saw her in a uh, diet drink commercial while watching the Today Show. And uh, in the commercial, she's walking down the street 
and someone whistles at her and she turns her head and smiles. And that little scene, there was a nod to it in the opening scene of this film when she's walking into the bird shop, little boys walking past her and whistles and she turns her head and smiles. That was done intentionally by Hitchcock to recreate that. And it was kind of like an inside joke between he and her. I, just, I didn't write this down, but I just thought of it. So she was 33 when this movie was released, but uh, she, at the time, she was billed as being 25 because this was her acting debut. 33 was old, considered old at the time for someone to be breaking into movies in a leading role. And so it wasn't until many years later that she revealed her actual age that she was 33 at the time, not 25. So that was kind of interesting. All right, I got a few of them, all of them from INDB. Sir Alfred Hitchcock revealed on the Dick Cavett show that 3,200 birds were trained for the movie. He said the ravens were the cleverest and the seagulls were the most vicious. Rod Taylor claims that the seagulls were fed a mixture of wheat and whiskey. It was the only way to get them to stand around so much. Uh, several endings were being considered. One that was considered would have shown the Golden Gate Bridge completely covered by birds. The scene where Melanie is ravaged by birds near the end of the movie took a week to shoot. The birds were attached to her clothes by long nylon threads so they could not get away. Melanie wears the same green suit throughout the movie, so Tippy Hedren was provided with six identical green suits for the shoot. Uh, this movie featured 370 effect shots. The final shot is a composite of 32 separately filmed elements. And my last one is Tippy Hedren donated her script from this movie to the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. And I thought that was a, it was in Smithsonian Magazine, August 2008, page 28. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating, brought to you by Manscaped. Just go to uh, their website and use our code don't go for 20% off and free shipping. My favorite kill, I chose the neighbor, Dan Fawcett, found dead by Lydia. I thought, I thought it looked great. The eyes pecked out, the blood, I thought it looked, I thought it looked great. The destroyed room, I thought it was pretty cool. And I'm not a fan of off-screen kills, but I like that one. Uh, my least favorite kill, I chose Annie. Uh, I wrote she's an important character, uh, killed off-screen, and she wasn't even really that bloody, honestly. I mean, it would have looked better if she would have looked like the neighbor found. All right, my rating, uh, oh, man, I don't even want to say it. I gave it a 4.5. No offense, men with that rating. I just wrote it's aged like a pack of lunch meat left out in the sun. Uh, the the effects aren't good by today's standards, and the concept just doesn't do it for me. Uh, it doesn't explain why the birds are attacking the people. But I said, I will praise the portrayals of Mitch by Rod Taylor and Melanie Tippy Hedren. I really enjoyed their scenes, honestly. I think they have been great in a romance movie together with their great, I thought they had great chemistry. Uh, I wrote, this is an iconic film from an iconic director. But it's just not for me. Okay, I'll go. I actually thought I was going to be groundbreaking with my least and favorite kill, but that's the same damn ones as Nico. I would even had this whole thing <laughs> written out about how I've never picked an off-screen kill ever for my favorite one, and here we go. I get. I was like, and I, you know, I picked it with the eyes eating out. Said so the same shit. So actually, uh, no, nothing different about what Nico said because my worst kill is Annie's, and uh, I thought she deserved better than than that, but. You know, I think that there's a, a lot of very good aspects of this film. Um, it's an absolute classic. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I think it opened the door for a lot of movies like, you know, kind of like we've talked about. Um, but also, 
I also don't mean this as a, as a slander either. I, I don't think it's Hitchcock's best film. I think it's in his top five, but I don't think, I think there's three or four that's, that's better than this. Um, and that's, you know, out of how many hundreds, 400 and something movies yeah. that he made. So that's not a bad thing. Um, I actually gave it a, a six and a half um, for a rating. And like I said, I kind of, as we, as we talked through it and broke this movie down, I, uh, I you know, I, I kind of put my rating because I literally did not have anything at the beginning of this because I was so torn. You know, I was anywhere from a four to a, to a seven all you know it's just i don't know where to rate this because i i enjoyed it you know and then i didn't enjoy it and there were so many nitpicks i had so um i i, I gave it i think i gave it a six and a half is that what i just said six six and a half that's where i'm at okay so um my favorite kill I, i'm gonna do least favorite kill first my least favorite kill is going to be, um, I'm going to have to go with Annie to kind of differ from you guys. Oh, wait, that's what you guys said. Uh, <laughs> for the same reasons, though, because, I mean, it's off screen, but also we didn't really get to even see the effects. Uh, he was covering her face, and it was just kind of lame. And she, like I said, it was kind of anticlimactic how her character developed with the tension never paid off with Melanie. Uh, it was just kind of all for naught and a, yep. a lame way to go out. Um <clears throat> My favorite kill, I actually, I, t- I went with a tie with the other two. Only three kills in the movie, but I went with a tie with the other two just because Farmer Dan's effects were great for the time. Like I said earlier when, I was, when we were talking about it, I love how they made his eyes look. And it's, you know, creepy as hell to see anyone with their eyes plucked out. Uh, and so I thought that was well done. But also, man. I love the pure fucking chaos of the gas station blowing up because of these damn birds. And yeah, so yeah. I had to go with the tie. Plus, you, you know, you add in the fact that it was on screen. It's the only one we got to see on screen. And so uh, I, I just I, I, I went with the cop out. and I tied them um, for my rating. I went with a, an eight point five. Um, and I, I think I agree with what you guys are saying. It is a. uh dated movie in certain aspects but it also is a classic i gave it a higher rating than the two of you maybe it's because i was so in love with tippy hedron <laughs> the way she's gorgeous in this in this era um oh, she's beautiful um, yes but also i just think that uh it's it was so instrumental for me just knowing how this movie still haunts my mom uh and i think that all the things I said earlier, man, you know, it's got some very iconic moments with the schoolhouse scene and the living room scene with the birds down the chimney. Uh, the the way that the effects were done, given the fact that there's no computers available, computer technology available at the time. Um, and just the, the attention to detail and the dedication to putting something together that looked as well as it did for 1963 is just incredible. Uh, the, the impact that the movie has on the genre uh and it's still you can look up any number of film review lists like the 1001 movies to see before you die i saw that was a list or the top 100 most influential movies of all time that was another list i saw there was like five or six film lists that i saw this movie's in the top 50 in every single one of them and you think about how many movies come out every single year and how long film has been coming out that speaks in itself to me uh, this movie is a classic and I enjoyed it. So I gave it an 8.5. Uh, that kind of balanced out Nico's 4.5. So for the three of us, the composite score is 
Brian score 6.5. I don't think I could ever, I would ever watch it again personally. And, uh, IMDb has this movie because we've kind of been doing that lately. See how we compare to them. We give it a 6.5. IMDb has it as a 7.7. So, uh, I, I blame it on Nico's youth. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Mike could have given it. Mike could have given it a nine and balanced it out. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take the blame. <laughs> I'm just gonna blame it all but, on your uh, roots. I did need to watch it. Blame it all on my Hold roots. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did Dustin just tell himself again? Uh, I think he showed up. In, he showed up in boots. What, is that a song? Go ahead. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, uh, do y'all got any more final thoughts on the birds before Brother Brian announces his creature feature pick? I got it all out. Same. <laughs> well, I thank you, Dustin, honestly, for picking it because I did need to watch it, and I never would have if you wouldn't have picked it. <laughs> Anytime. You can count on me. I've done that a few times. You can count on me, brother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, Brian, go ahead and announce your pick for a creature feature next week, brother. Uh, we are going to a 1998 and Robert Rodriguez film, which has, let's see, Josh Hartnett in it, which this will be, I believe, the third Josh Hartnett movie that we have done on this on this show. I, I know we did 30 Days a Night and H2O. If there's another one that Hartnett would in, was in, uh, uh, I missed it, and, and shame on me because I love me some Hartnett. But, uh, shit, it's got, you know, it's got Jordana Brewster. It's got Famke Ooh. Jansen. That's your, that's your girl, Dustin. You've got... Uh, you know, the fucking T-1000 and Robert Patrick. You've got the fucking Daily Show and Jon Stewart and Frodo Baggins himself and Elijah Wood. We're going with uh, the uh, the faculty. Nice. And friend of the show, John Abraham. And friend of the show, John Abrahams. <laughs> <laughs> Our second John Abraham film. <laughs> That's very that I can think of. And, I, and he's credited, uh, as, looking a, forward he's credited to as the fuck you boy in this movie. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because, spoiler alert, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. <laughs> Shocked. I, I, I just cannot believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, uh, before I get bullied anymore, uh, just want to wish all our fans and listeners uh, another happy new year. We really appreciate the support. Uh, we're looking forward to another action-packed, star-studded year for us. Uh, we're going to work hard for you. And we hope y'all enjoyed this episode and y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. Uh